I'm Diana Barbosa, and you're listening to European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. You are listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 116. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelon Levin and Pontus Böckmann. See ya, Stock. Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Hello again. Hi. Hello. I forgot, I've forgotten. Hello. Hey. <laughs> what, so, yeah, oh, what, sometimes uh, I forget yeah, my so sometimes I forget my own language because I speak I mostly speak English here so. Yeah. Good. Please keep it to English for the most part and that, that helps <laughs> the others. Well, well, you know, um I was going to say something about elections, but I'm not. Elections. <laughs> yeah, in Russia. In Guess Russia. what? Putin won! Oh my god, surprise, shock horror. Big oh. surprise there. Fucking yeah. democracy. Who would have thought? Democracy in action. No surprises anywhere. Uh, well, I don't know why they're bothered. No, he's, exactly. I saw This the, is the, his fourth term. Six he's gonna be on his throne for the next six years. Yeah. Uh, apparently there were some um, for, uh, you know uh, medium who claimed that he, he predicted it, so fine, okay. Because uh, it's so hard for to, to Yeah, predict. I would it never was, have. It was like a, such a brain teaser, you know. Ooh, who's gonna win? Yeah. Well, yeah. and uh, oh did you God. follow the the elections in Italy? No. Russian elections are much more interesting. Well, no. <laughs> there was no winner. <laughs> well, surprise. there you go. Yeah. And what's interesting is everything that's gonna come uh, from now on, because it means a whole new kind of problem. Yeah, I mean it's it's not something that the Italians are completely unfamiliar with, but um, the lack of a government that can actually govern. Yeah, um, no. Yeah. Well, it's 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 coming all over. I mean, we have a, an election in September in Sweden, and we already know it's going to be the same mess here because we'll have the Social Democrats and the left mm -hmm. to one side, and then we have a bunch, well, three or four, depending on how it goes. Uh, Uh, parties on the right, mm -hmm. but then we have the Sweden Democrats that are they're not very democratic. But anyway, they <laughs> yeah, are we've the, heard about them. From the, you. They are the sort of third <laughs> block now. So we have these three blocks, mm -hmm. and even though I hope it looks like the Sweden Democrats will stay below twenty percent, it's still a big enough to make sure that nobody gets the majority. So nobody knows what to do. Who who are you gonna vote for, Pontus? The, you, that's secret, <laughs> according to the democratic principles. None of your business. But the truth <laughs> is, I have never been so undecided uh, ever in my life, and you know I'm ancient. I've been doing this for 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 a hundred years. And have you and have you the, always uh, been quite uh, active voter? Yes, yes, I think uh, that's part of it, and I promise I will vote. But this year it could go. 
Anyway, I, I, well, in, in, either way, I have no idea. I, I but, only know I want to vote against the Sweden Democrats. So, Pontus, how bad yeah. can it be? You don't have Hillary and, and Trump to vote against, so you'll be fine. No, yeah. Or, or fine. Boris Johnson and Theresa May. Oh, so Jesus that's... fucking Christ, don't even go there. Or you oh. don't have an Orban, a Viktor Orban either. And no. that is that is quite a good, <laughs> a very good starting point. Unfortunately, I can't vote for Anders Pinter. Uh, <laughs> but the guys in Hungary can. They can. How's, well, how's the campaigning going? How's yes, the campaigning tell going? Us about it. Only a small number of people can actually vote for me, but they can vote for my party, mm. uh, which is called Momentum. And uh, mm. I do hope that we will have enough momentum to to get into Parliament. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Yeah, well, campaigning is very tiresome. It's a completely new experience to, uh, for, for me, uh, especially because four years ago, I was campaigning for the candidate of my hometown for a different party because the, 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 the different parties start, uh, uh, tried to get, back, get together and uh, run... As a coalition. Hand, hand to hand. That was a coalition. But this time, we are trying to coordinate who will run and who doesn't run. And uh, that's a necessity, actually. Mm. Because the political landscape has completely changed since mm. Viktor Orban came into power. They rewrote the, the complete electoral system. So it's favouring a big block and they are the only big enough block to win an election hmm. and although uh we have a majority of people who want a change of the government but they cannot agree on which party to cast their vote on and this can be used by the, the current government for their advantage and this is how they they got a landslide win in 2014 as well and uh now yeah that's that's a quite a quite a tough task to to beat them well and let us yeah let us know how it's going good luck yeah later on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well it's about three three weeks away whoa wow, three okay. weeks yeah three weeks from today there are the elections time yeah. flies when you have fun Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, but it's um it's a very interesting experience. The hatred that one can generate just by running and exp- expressing their own opinions—it's mm. unbelievable. Mm. So the names I've been called in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I wouldn't have believed where that this, where this were you happen. called those names like in your face or like on yeah, Facebook? Yeah, in the street. Um, we were we were trying to get the the support for actually running. People were absolutely crazy for and against what we do. So mm-hmm. um, what can definitely be be said about Hungarian elections now is there's an alarmingly large amount of tension in Hungarian society right now. Hmm. And wow. just a couple of days ago, when we had the national holiday on March the 15th, the prime minister himself actually threatened the opposition parties and everyone who's in opposition <laughs> with yeah. retributions. So we are officially threatened now, uh, yeah. publicly. 
Wow. Th- this is this is how deep we are at the moment. Wow. Um, so it's a it's a real issue. Well, but we're not here to discuss politics, I'm afraid. Well, uh, I'm more than happy to discuss it uh, whenever we are all <laughs> sitting down with a beer or um, or a glass of wine. One of these days, eh? Hopefully, the next time it happens, <laughs> it'll all be over. <laughs> so I can't wait to see the end of it. Yeah. Both the elections and the end of this government. <laughs> but so it's a good thing you, we mentioned politics because there is someone coming up uh, for an interview with us who actually ran for office a couple of years ago, I believe. And she's a skeptic. She's a very active skeptic. Mm. She does some really great work in skepticism. She's none other than Diana Barbosa. So shall we crack on with it and run that interview we recorded with her? Let's do this, yeah. Great. Let's do it. On every other episode, we usually interview someone who's interesting from a skeptical point of view, either by representing an organization of a certain European country or a project stretching across borders. Today, we are catching up with Diana Barbosa, skeptical activist and co-founder of the Portuguese skeptic organization Concept and co-organizer of several skeptical events in Lisbon and Porto. Diana was with us all the way back on episode five, more than two years ago, so it's time to talk to her again. Diana, welcome back to the ESP. Thank you so much. I'm very glad to be back. Ah, it's pawn time. Welcome. <laughs> so good to have you back. Thank you. <laughs> I think recent events and the fact that two years have passed make it uh, really worthwhile talking about what has been going on in Portugal with regards to the skeptical movement? Well, we are now a formal organization, which we weren't, I think, when we talked about last time. Um, with... Congratulations. Thank mm. you. I have now loads, loads of paperwork to, <laughs> to fill every year and tax returns and everything, although we are not a for-profit organization. We have to do it all the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a bit of a, a bureaucratic load, but it was important for us to be rec- officially recognized as such. Mm. So there was that, and we kept on doing our our events, our main conference. Uh, this year, I may announce right here for you that we'll be getting back at the 10th of November. It's our concept com. All right. Mm. Excellent. We'll be gathering in Leiria, which is a small town about 100 kilometers north of Lisbon. Mm-hmm. Uh, will be hosted by the Leiria Museum. It's an old museum that has been refurbished in the last few years. It's it's a very very nice building, and they were amazing with us last year. So we're going to go back this year. But the topic and the speakers are still. A secret. <laughs> well, we know. Ooh. Just a quick question. Will it be in, in English? Uh, no, it'll be in Portuguese. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we do have, hopefully, something coming in from abroad, but mm-hmm. probably won't be in English. Right. Mm, okay. And uh, how, did, how did the one uh, last year go, in last it was, November? It was very nice. Last year, we did it all about history and histor- historical myths, especially on, on Portuguese history, but generally also we had for the first time someone coming in from spain 
from the, the Spanish skeptics. And she's a historian by, by training, so it was a nice fit for our event to have her and to talk about skepticism in Spain and also to talk about skepticism in history. Yeah. Uh, and she... Just just for our listeners, we're talking about uh, Antonia de Oñate, is that correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. Antonia, yes, it's correct. And it was, it was very nice. <laughs> it's a topic that people enjoy, history. People like to know about our past. I think it's something that it's truly enjoyed by the general public. But it's also riddled with misinformation. So, for example, last year it was being celebrated, the, the centenary, the 100-year anniversary of the supposed apparition of Lady Mary in Fatima, in a village in Portugal. Mm. So it was all over the news. There were The Pope came here and everything. And that was one of the topics that we addressed. What we know historically about what happened in uh, 1917, in that small village in the middle of nowhere in Portugal. Um, that was one of the topics also. So it was very nice. It's quite, quite interesting. History doesn't always make it to the skeptical uh, conferences or skeptical agenda. But I th there's a lot of, as you say, there's a lot of misinformation and myths uh, about history that, that are very interesting to, to, to look into. Yes, it's true. It's something that we were always interested from the beginning. The, the first concept con we did, one of the speakers spoke about history. He's an archaeologist and he spoke about one of supposed Portuguese heroes when there wasn't even Portugal. So it's, this is in the Roman times. And there's this heroic figure called Viriato, which we, we, we were taught about him in school. And in the end, he didn't, he wasn't even born where Portugal now is. And there's these loads of stories about him that are taught as if it were history. And it's not, it's myth. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was one of our first subjects on in, a, in, in this, this event that we do. And we've always been in, interested in, in, um, historical myths and the way that some figures and some events are mythified. Yeah. into popular culture. Just a quick interruption with that, with a, with a Hungarian example. One of the favorites of mine here in Hungary, the 15th of March, which is our greatest national holiday mm -hmm. because of historical events when we started rebelling against the Habsburgs back in 1848. And there is a myth that is taught at school as a fact that one of our greatest poets mm -hmm. actually performed his own poem in front of the museum, the National Museum of Hungary. Mm -hmm. But there is no evidence whatsoever that supports that claim. And yet, there is even a sign put up on the side of the building mentioning that event. Yeah, and <laughs> so since we're going into history and myths, do you know that we share a common myth? Hungary and Portugal. What is that? About Saint Elizabeth. Oh yeah. Oh you, yeah. You have you have Saint Elizabeth and the miracle of the roses and the bread. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's Saint Saint Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the same story, exactly the same story for a Portuguese queen <laughs> also named Elizabeth. Yeah. Isabel in Portuguese. And was she um sanctified as well? Yeah. Yeah. She's a saint now. 
So there are two St. Elizabeth with the same myth surrounding yes. them. Yeah, and the yeah, thing yeah, is, exactly. the Portuguese one is the niece of the Hungarian one. Oh. The last time I was in, in, the, in, in a museum in Coimbra where she lived, and where she's very venerated. Her body is there, and it's one of those bodies that they say it doesn't decompose because she's a saint. <laughs> and every few years you can go and look at the body and everything. I really like those stories. And there's a new museum there, and they have an historical approach to it. So they say that she was a very nice person, and she was very good for the poor and for the ill, and she took up residency in the local convent after she was a widow, and they say that the people just uh, popularized the myth of her aunt that was already known at the time of the the roses and the bread the, the bread turned into roses. So that was the historical explanation that they gave at the museum. So they recognized it was uh, an. In- an imported myth from Hungary, from her aunt. You know, that's one of those moments when I, I really feel overwhelmed with all the, the, the things to be to be known um, as, a, as a professional guide. Because uh, how I came across that story of uh, St. Elizabeth in Portugal was mm-hmm. when I visited um, the Treasury Museum in Funchal, mm-hmm. in Madeira. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, but I never understood why the, the two stories are the same. <laughs> yeah, I, I, when, I, when I was in Hungary... That makes a lot of sense. When I was in Hungary, I saw yeah. this in, in the cathedral that's not in Budapest, but I'm sorry, I don't know the, I don't know how to say the name of the town. Where's the cathedral, the, the headquarters of the Catholic Church, just up in the border? Yeah, that's Estergo. Um yeah. yeah. So I went there and I, there's a, 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 an image of her, of this lady with roses coming out of her dress. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, this is striking. It's just like our St. Elizabeth, our queen. And I asked the guide and she told me, oh, that's St. Elizabeth. She was a princess from Hungary and she was very nice. And she told me the exact same story I knew from, <laughs> from my childhood. Yeah. And that was very odd. And only years later, I realized that they were related. The Portuguese queen was the niece of the Hungarian princess or queen. <laughs> and the story was the same. Yeah. Oh. So there you have it. An historical myth connecting us. Oh, we could we could do this for hours, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love being European. <laughs> <laughs> But Diana, you have uh, it's not just a concept con. You you have other uh, events going on as well. Uh, I think every December you do a solstice conference. It's true. Yeah, that's a smaller event. It's uh, just one speaker, so it's a singular conference. This year is already scheduled for the fifteenth of December, and that will be in Lisbon. Uh, we usually do it uh, in Lisbon, and we do our monthly meetings, uh, sort of like skeptics in the pub meetings. The next one will be on the 31st of March. We're just going to announce it today or tomorrow. It will be in Porto, up in the north, and we're going to speak with both patients and medical professionals about the pseudoscience that's peddled to patients that suffer from inflammatory bowel diseases like like Crohn's disease and other sorts of autoimmune diseases that affect these patients. And 
uh, when they in in the support groups and in in web pages they are constantly being people are constantly suggesting uh, pseudoscience and quackery yeah so we're going to be speaking with uh, one patient at least one patient that suffers from inflammatory bowel disease and she's been also an activist for the the rights for these patients because they have a debilitating disease but they don't have special rights at work for example yeah. so that they can take days off when they need and everything uh, she's very active in the community and she's a, a science defender, so, so she's very worried about mm. all the stuff that pops up in these patient groups and web pages, and that's all we'll be speaking about with her and with some doctors. Yeah, it's funny that, uh, well, not funny, but there's a lot of uh, pseudoscience going on, of course, in, in the area of healthcare, etc. And I heard that you recently had some really bad or a bad new regulation regarding traditional Chinese medicine in Portugal. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Let me tell you a a little bit about the background. So there is a law uh, from 2003 that stated that a group of what here it's called non-conventional therapies, that's the term they use in the law, Uh, would be regulated and that was put out in 2003 and they refer the World Health Organization as a reference Uh, but I'm not quite sure uh, how this this reference is made so this law predicted that there were seven of these non-conventional therapies that would have a special regulation and that's acupuncture homeopathy, osteopathy, naturopathy, phytotherapy, and chiropractic. Why these seven and not others? We're not quite sure. So this was back in 2003, but this was sort of the first framework that didn't actually regulate. It just said that these practices would need a regulation. Then in 2013, 10 years later, and with much, much pressure from the the practitioners, as you might imagine, the law was regulated and it was stated how these professionals would be able to apply their their profession in a legal manner. And this regulation, in practice, made these seven practices legitimized yeah. by law. Yeah, because when because you when it, you say regulation, it seems like you're going to hinder it or stop it in some way. No. But in fact, what you're doing is you you give it uh, legitimacy and, and yes. you say, this is the way you do this, and then it becomes... It could, it no. could have been uh, done in another manner, but the way it was done, it really legitimized. Because one thing that this regulation recognizes is that they have ethical and technical autonomy. And they have diagnostic power, treatment power, and they need to have a higher education degree. Mm. So when the regulation predicts that you need a higher education degree, it follows that the universities will be offering this higher education degree. Oh, God, yeah. So after 2013, the higher education courses uh, started to be regulated. And there were two that still lacked a regulation traditional Chinese medicine, and homeopathy. And this year, in February, just last month, 
it came out the law, the, the regulation that habilitates the, the degree for traditional Chinese medicine, yeah. which includes, for example, uh, training in traditional Chinese medicine theory. And it is in the law, it is in our books that people will be trained on yin and yang, on qi, on meridian systems and ying lu ramifications, <laughs> on zhang fu syndromes, whatever this is, <sighs> in energetic patho pathologies. So this is written into Portuguese law now. It's just ridiculous. So, yeah. What can you do about this? It's going to be quite hard to, because the only thing we can do is to reverse the whole thing. And it's very hard to reverse a law. Um, and there is popular support for this. Mm -hmm. They are, the, the practitioners are very well organized. They were the ones pushing this because if you see the first law is from 2003 and only in 2013 the actual regulation came out. So it was 10 years. This was sort of lying there expecting that no one noticed it, hmm. but they were pushing it very and very organized. And Mm -hmm. Just a few months ago, there was a massive, massive petition with thousands of signatures that went through Parliament demanding not only that these, that these final regulations for the higher education courses came out, but also that all the exceptional rules that had put into place for people that were already practicing would be widened and more people could be considered legal practitioners. Oh. And those passed in, in, in Parliament. Hmm. Um, Do you plan anything like uh, including that in a March for Science event or, or anything like that? Uh, now, in, this, in the case of tra uh, traditional Chinese medicine, there's been a lot of public upheaval from doctors, mm -hmm. from actual medical doctors. Scientifically trained doctors, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> something that hasn't happened before. I don't know if it's related to the, the people running the medical college, uh, but now this the, the, the doctor that is in charge of the medical college has been very publicly opened against this type of training and against this type of legitimizing of pre-scientific practices, which is what's called traditional Chinese medicine. No, it's a pre-scientific practice. Pre-scientific? Yeah, it, talking about yin and yang and meridians. This is from before what we know about human physiology and how, how our body and our physiology works, right? The, oh, so by pre-scientific, you don't mean that it's... Um... You do it, you learn it before you actually start learning science. It's no, no, I historically, mean, historically pre scientific. Historically okay. speaking, yeah, okay. historically speaking, it's yeah. pre scientific. Um, and we know about the, the, the history of how traditional Chinese medicine was promoted in Mao's China. No, oh, yeah. it, it's, yes. it's almost invented in the 60s. No, as a way to, to say that they have a, a system of public health that they didn't have. Yeah, yeah. And, and some of the practices, uh, such as acupuncture, uh, people say it's, it's, oh, it's an old, old practice. It isn't. No, thin, thin needles didn't exist in the old days. Thin needles is something of the 20th century. Um, 
so we know about that history. It's also curious that in 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 our law, they have the two practices separated. You have on one hand traditional Chinese Chinese medicine that includes acupuncture, and on the other you have acupuncture separated. Uh, huh. And the the courses on acupuncture are already in place. Huh, strange. So now we're miss we're homeopathy is the last one to come out. We're wow. waiting for it. Wow. Uh, but but yes, we are trying to look at ways to to fight this at least on the public sphere, if not on the law, but to 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 point out that these are not medical professionals. They, they actually don't fall under the scope of the ethics and rules that guide the medical profession because they are autonomous. Yeah. Yeah. They, but, but they are healthcare professionals. Yeah. They have a license under the healthcare ministry. Yeah. But then they regulate themselves what is yes. the best, yeah. well, the right way of doing it. Yeah. And they probably, yeah. Shit. So the, yeah, the only thing you can do is to actually attack and try to reverse the regulation itself. But have you got, um, I mean, concept, your organization, do you have any kind of uh, lobbying power? Or uh, is there anyone you can rally behind uh, who does that? We've been speaking with politicians whenever we can. And we know this is not uh, uh, something that's agreed upon by everyone. Even the the political parties that promoted this these laws uh, within them, it's not consensual. So we are trying to to get the word out and to get more people to know what's going on. Because uh, the yeah. feeling I have is that these laws came out and people didn't even notice it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about it, but we don't have that great lobbying power, <laughs> as, as some people think, mm-hmm. <laughs> as some trolls think and say that we are shields and everything. And again, we're back to square one with the idea of having politicians who are well-trained in science and skepticism, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, that's very important. So this is not the good news that I was hoping to talk about. There's also been a, a series of new cases of measles, which is, it, it was happening all over Europe and now. It has reached Portugal also. Measles in Portugal has been, I mean, for unfortunately for European standards, it's been relatively under control. Uh, I think you've had about 30 or 40 cases last year, while some other countries have had thousands. Yes. Uh, Actually, a couple of years ago, we were declared measles free by the World Health Organization. And just the year after, we had um, a series of cases. Uh, related cases, a series of contagions, and unfortunately, a death. Oh yeah! Last winter, there was a, a teenage That's girl right. that I read died about that. Yeah. from measles. How, yeah. Um, and this year, just this this week, uh, it was announced that there was again uh, a series of cases now in the north of the country. Uh, the 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 health ministry and the health authorities are coming publicly, defending uh, vaccination, telling everyone to check your vaccination records. If you're not sure if you haven't been vaccinated against measles, please take the vaccination. Uh, there's been a, a public campaign about it, but 
the thing is that the, although it's not a very prevailing group in Portugal, the anti-vaccination promoters are also here. Yeah, uh, and, it's, yeah. And it's it, still a small number, but they are here and the effects are starting to, to appear. And vaccination isn't mandatory in Portugal? No. No. Uh, up until a few years ago, everyone thought it was, but actually it never was mandatory. <laughs> What happens is that when you go to, to register your child at the public school, they always ask for the vaccination record. So everyone assumed for many, many years that it was mandatory and uh, all children were vaccinated. Now, with people being more informed for the good and for the bad, um, especially the anti-vaccination parents, they realized that it wasn't mandatory. So some people stopped vaccinating their children and the results are starting to appear. Yeah. Uh, there is a debate now if, if it should be, should be mandatory or not. It's, it's not an easy answer to give. No. Um, <laughs> if I speak only from feeling, I would say, yes, it should be mandatory, but then there are problems uh, with it. Um, what's important is to educate the public and to, through every means possible, if not mandating it, but through every means possible to, to have children vaccinated. Because the right to health, it's a right of the child. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Fortunately, we still have very, very high percentage of, of kids yeah, that are vaccinated. Uh, yeah. And we have a lot of vaccines that are on the public health system, so they are free. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We, parents don't have to, to pay for them. That's good. Uh, and that's very important. There's no economic stress uh, impeding the, the vaccination of children. And the vaccination for, for, for measles has been around for many years and it was always free. So uh, a few years ago, I was not sure because I had lost my little booklet of vaccines And I wasn't sure if I had been vaccinated as a child or not for, for measles. My mom always took me to have all the vaccines, but I wasn't sure. So I made my doctor <laughs> vaccinate me again, just in case. <laughs> so now I am fully protected. Yes. Yeah. On a slightly lighter note, but somewhat similar, you have a unicorn, a flying unicorn uh, prize every year. And um, the voting is currently open for this. Uh, can you just quickly explain what, the, what it is, uh, what the categories are and nominees and how to vote? Sure, I'm, I'm glad to. So this Flying Unicorn Award we created just the same year we created Concept on 2012 and it is completely uh, inspired into in the Pegasus Award that used to be given by the James Randi Educational Foundation. So in Portuguese, Pegasus didn't quite function as a joke, so we made up the flying unicorn, because as everyone knows, unicorns don't fly. So this is a, <laughs> a mythical creature. <laughs> And so we say this is a, a happy award for unfortunate deeds, sort of translate like that. And we usually have three categories. One for the media, that's the gramophone. The falling star for TV personalities and actors, uh, so public figures. 
And the third one for other types of people and institutions, it's called The King is Naked. Yeah. So maybe this is not the best translation, but it's uh, it refers to that tale of the... Yeah, the of, Emperor's New Clothes. Mm -hmm. The just, Emperor's yeah, New yeah, Clothes, right. exactly. Mm. And we just opened the, the, the voting this week and the winners or losers will be announced on the 1st of April, on April's full day. Of course. <laughs> and again, this year in the media category, we have the our main public TV channel that has been promoting in different uh, documentaries and programs the myth about the cholesterol not being the culprit of a series of diseases, uh, roundup fear-mongering. They had, when the, the girl last year died the, from measles, they had a program about, the, about vaccinations where they had people on both sides. Mm. So they were actually promoting anti-vaccination in that program. So for all these deeds, they are one of the nominees. Then... We have also, well, we have a classic that everyone knows, the History Channel. Ah, yeah. No? The History Channel, uh, it's also exhibited in Portugal, but everyone can relate to all the bullshit that they peddle from ancient aliens and von Daniken and all that sort of thing. So these are just two examples. Uh, on the Shooting Star this year, we were able to nominate Dr. Oz. Oh. Because he was invited. Nice. Yeah, he was invited to the Mega Web Summit event as one of the guests talking about health, which is a problem. Uh, but I can reveal one of my favorites for this, for this category is actually a Portuguese doctor, a medical doctor, scientifically trained, supposedly, that just pedals all sort of crazy and dangerous ideas from drinking uh, seawater. Ah. He also is one of those that says cholesterol is not a problem and that you shouldn't take medication for cholesterol. All sorts of vitamins and detox and anti-aging. And just last year, he published two books that were big, big sellers, not like ours. <laughs> So this is a very public figure, he's constantly on TV, and it's a menace, it's a danger for public health, because he is a doctor, and he uses that to, to legitimize all the crap that he says. Yeah. So he's one of the nominees uh, this year, and many others. Yeah. You can check it on our website, and everyone's invited to vote until the 31st of March. Okay, good. Okay, so... You've got a, quite a collection of resources available uh, online in PDF format. Uh, can you tell us what what one can find there? Yes, yeah, so in our in our website we have um, a section uh, dedicated to a few resources. Uh, we haven't produced many lately, but we have small booklets that anyone can print or download and use uh, however they see fit. They are all open in Creative Commons. Some of them have been translations made by us into Portuguese, like the Learn How to Be a Medium in 10 Lessons. This is from the Skeptic Society, and they, they've authorized us to translate it into Portuguese. But we also have some that, are, that were produced by us. 
uh, we have a small booklet about skepticism. What is skepticism, which is something that we almost always have to answer whenever we go to a, a new place or speak to a new audience. And it's very important per, for us that people understand the difference between skepticism and denialism yeah. uh, and cynicism. So this one was produced by us. We also have one about snake oil, the signs of snake oil. Mm. That was also produced by us. One on homeopathy, uh, one on denialism. Uh, the one on denialism, we did it when we had a concept con dedicated to denialism. So we produced this small booklet and offered it to everyone that was present at the conference. But now it's on the website and, and you can download it and use it. Mm. Right. Yeah, but it's not only the online material that you try to fight against pseudoscience. Um, last year, you published a book on skepticism uh, together with uh, João Monteiro. Mm -hmm. And the title of it was Do Not Be Fooled, as I recall. Yes. Uh, so was that an actual printed book? And, and how did it come out? And uh, was it a success? Uh, yes, it, is, it was an actual printed book. We were, uh, it was authored by me, by João Monteiro, Leonora Branch, and Marco Filipe. So the four of us were founders of, of Concept. In Portuguese, if I can say the name, it's called Não se deixe enganar, which translates loosely into do not be fooled. And mm -hmm. when we say do not be fooled, we are talking about not fooling ourselves also. So it's not yeah. telling people that they are fools, but that everyone can be fooled and can be tricked into thinking about things not in the best way. Uh, we were invited by the, um, the printing editor to, to write a book about skepticism. It took us some time to put up the, the, the topics that we wanted to, to address. And then as we were writing it, we had to eliminate topics or else it would become, it was a Bible <laughs> and we had a, a page limit. And it was last year we were mostly dedicated to, to the book because then when the book came out in June and we had a lot of press interviews, so we were running around a little bit one place to the next. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was, it was great because it's a, another medium to reach people. Uh, not everyone is into blogs or coming to events or and we are limited where we can have our events no yeah and the book can reach everywhere and it's it's sold also online so anyone anywhere can buy it uh, there's also a an ebook uh, version of it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's a proper book sold on bookstores and we are very very happy <laughs> Yeah. And That's what great. examples did you use? Did you use international examples or mainly Portuguese ones? Uh, there's a mix. Okay. We talk about topics that are typical in the in in the skeptic movement. We talk about alternative medicine. We talk about conspiracy theories. We talk about dieting. We talk about anti-vaccination movements. We talk about mediums and all sort of quackeries that we encounter. Our conducting line was trying to introduce people into skeptical thinking through examples and whenever possible use examples from Portugal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so good. I, I'm sure it can be read by anyone, anywhere, but we try to 
since our main audience was people in Portugal, we try to, whenever possible, talk about cases that took place here. And when we talk about the law and everything that's happening in, into alternative medicine, we talk about Portuguese law. So we explain how it, these practices were being regulated, and we talked about these seven ones that are in the law. We have a, a small guide about what each one of them defends and uh, what sort of ideas that they, they use and how they are, they are regulated. We also talk, there's also a chapter on media and how media uh, is very important for skepticism. Uh, how journalists are very important for skepticism. And in that case, we talk about Brian Deere and the work he did in debunking what Andrew Wakefield had done in the case of vaccines mm -hmm. and, and how journalists can be gatekeepers. And that can be very, very important in that sense, uh, stop certain types of disinformation reaching the news and also in researching uh, those types of information or disinformation. Uh, and we talk about also all, the, all the, the difficulties that today the media has with funding and everything and how important it is for the public to support and to give credit to people that do good journalism and good research. So it's sort of a, a beginner's guide into skepticism. Good. And um, how is the other book that recently came out and was written by two scientists uh, different from that book that you wrote? Um, I believe the title of that one translates as Science and Its Enemies? Yes. Uh, so that came out close to Christmas in the end of the year. In Portuguese, it's Ciencia e os seus inimigos, Science and Its Enemies. <laughs> And the authors are David Marçal and Carlos Fiulhais. They are both members of CONCEPT also, but they have been science communicators and uh, skeptical activists for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Actually, they were already uh, writing books and publishing books when we started CONCEPT. Uh, Carlos Fiulhais is a, a university professor, an established scholar and academic, uh, he has a regular presence in the media also, and it's one of the voices that we have uh, in the media regarding the, the defense of science. And they've written now three books together. This is the third. Uh, the first one was about uh, the history of science. Then the second one was already on skepticism. And the title was something on the cell phones and popcorns. So it was a reference to that myth that you could pop popcorns ah, yeah. using cell phone radiation. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. So that book was all about that sort of disinformation and quackery. Mm -hmm. And now this is a bit of also going into the, the history of science and the different oppositional forces that science has faced over the years, uh, including from politics, from religion, from charlatans, from different parts of society. And it's been a success also because they, they are already known from the public and this is their third book and we're very happy with it. Yeah, that's great. And there is a new one coming up. I just heard about it this week. Uh, it's coming out next week, if, I, if I'm correct. And it's by um, a science journalist and a scientist and it's called 100 Myths. So it's all debunking 
100 common popular myths, like the myth that we only use 10% of our brain, or the myth that we will catch a cold if we are up in the cold. Nice. Stuff like that. I'm very nice. curious about it. Just read nice, nice. yesterday about it, and it will come out next week. Cool. One of my favorite ones in Hungarian is written by a couple of uh, academics, and it's called The 100 uh, Popular Myth About Chemistry. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that one. And <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on, and uh, so well explained. So I I think there is a little need uh, uh, a real need for those books and uh, those resources for for everyone who's curious enough to to read up on things. Yeah, what what I hope is that then in the, in the bookstores that they have the, a place and they are properly advertised. Uh, when our book came out at the same time, there was a book from that doctor that I talked about, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Pinto Coelho. Okay. And his book was in every bookstore uh, window. Mm-hmm. So it was highly advertised. And it's it's hard to fight that. But we're trying. What else can you do, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're doing a lot. And uh, thanks very much for, for, for sharing all that with us. Thanks for having me. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Just a quick question about the uh, QED conference uh, in October. Are we going to see you there again in person? Yeah, I hope so. I'm planning on going. Okay. Good, good, if good. If nothing <laughs> tragic happens, I will go. I will be there. Excellent. Good. Great. So, and, and if people want to know more about the concept and, and, and what's going on in Portugal, where, where do you suggest they go online? So we are on our website on concept.org and we are on Facebook and on Twitter. And if you write us in English, we'll reply in English. We have no English or Spanish, uh, not many more <laughs> languages, but in, in those ones. <laughs> I think that's enough. Yeah, yeah okay. I think so. And our website is all in Portuguese, but uh, you can al- always use Google Translate to have an idea of what we are writing about. Great. And we're always online. Great. Yeah, and, and just a hint to our listeners, uh, there are several uh, extensions to to different web browsers so uh, that, that you can use for that purpose. So um, that's usually what I do personally. And uh, you can choose which agent to use, to, to, to use Google Translate or to use something else like Microsoft or, uh, or Yahoo or anything. So that's, that's, that's a pretty good option to have right now mm-hmm. do you still remember the old days when we didn't have these things around yeah we now have, <laughs> have lots and lots of tools to help us connect with everyone yeah yeah I really and google love that. translate is getting much much better it's, yeah, yeah it's been amazing yeah but yeah. we definitely hope that uh, we will catch up with you in person as well sure if not earlier than at qed in manchester QED. in october and if you ever want to pop up in portugal we'll be very happy to have you and host you and and show you around well we might take you up on that offer that sounds very nice (laughs) great i'll be waiting (laughs) okay all right okay thank you so much diana yeah thank you very much thank you bye-bye 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 bye okay hey it's always great to have her on yeah, it's, always. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can't believe it was over two years ago. Oh, yeah. It's neither can I. Episode no. number five? What? Number five, yeah. Whatever. It was just 110 episodes ago, and it's not, not, not a big deal. 110 <laughs> weeks ago. Plus, oh, minus. Wow. We were like different people back then. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are, what they do is really great. I mean, I mean, there mm. are several fronts on which they fight these battles. Hmm. And that is quite a good example. Yeah, I, I think it's but, great. You know, publishing books, presenting mm, awards or mm, handing awards mm, to, to people who are yeah. doing the wrong things or, or really make fools of themselves. Uh, but it's really worrying about this new Chinese so-called regulations of, of alternative um, yeah, practitioners, yeah. which actually just creates, makes them, you know, legitimate in the eyes of the public. Yeah. It is. You see, this is why I'm keep I keep honking that same horn about lobbying power and politicians and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. what's worrying is that I, I I can see similarities across European countries, and I'm sure yeah. the same is true for Australia and America. The same, you know, traits: the homeopathy, Chinese medicine, the anti-vaccination movement. It's all, you know, repeats itself in other countries. Yeah. So, guys, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks, guys. Pleasure as always. Thank you, guys. It's been fun. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. And until next time, when we come back with a regular segmented episode, goodbye. 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 This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe This is episode Namaha 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 Yeah yeah so we we so we yeah, mean we, we just skip, skip it, it. yeah this okay. time okay. We skip it yeah. yeah yeah don't contact, don't contact us leave us, us alone Leave us alone <laughs> Okay <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Paka paka. Paka paka. <laughs> is there a technical problem or is it just that I'm Oh sick? fuck, that was a technical problem. Because no you sound like this. Oh that's happened before. Yes. <laughs> Jesus. When did it happen? Do we have to retake no, something? No, I don't think so. I can fix it. I can fix it in post. Alright. This is the European Skeptics Podcast. Shall we go, go to sleep instead? <laughs> I think so. <laughs>
Okay. All right. Don't forget to upload. Yeah, definitely. Don't you worry. <laughs> Don't forget the upload. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye-bye.